Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Optive Theology Podcast. It's a podcast where John Sekatowski, Nick Gibson, and me, Andy Schmidt, discuss some of the hard theological and cultural topics in the Bible, bringing three different perspectives from three different generations. I hope you enjoy. John, John is back. It's been like it's a month or something. Um, do you want to give everybody an update on your marriage and how that's going? It happened, and uh, so far so good. What That's I mean, good. what do you want as an update? <laughs> I don't know, dude. I, I just, <laughs> you know, I the, the fans, bro. The the dating paradigm worked. They want they want the to know how worked. marriage is marriage paradigm is working now. It is. <laughs> it's great. It is worth. It is worth using the dating paradigm to be married and to come in with less guilt feels nice. That's great. How was your um, honeymoon? Who, who sent you on the honeymoon? How was that? And who sent uh, you on that? It's, I don't remember. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember the details of who sent me on the honeymoon. So interesting. It was, it was a special treat from Optive. Uh, we, we sent him on a nice honeymoon to Florida. Yeah. Andy, Andy and Andy's parents had a timeshare in Florida. So they, they split the cost and gave it to us as a gift, oh, which is amazing. Yeah. You, you didn't need to mention that, John. No, no <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. I think it's really funny how you say, how you say that Andy and Andy's parents own a condo in Florida when it sounds like Andy's parents own a condo in Florida. They yeah, it's my parents. But I, I well, they they own the timeshare and I help pay for John to it's just I you, oh, Nick okay. I, it I was me. You. It was all me. It was, <laughs> it was right. optive. So for the, the the three listeners that are left, we're gonna talk about God's will this morning. Yeah, we're gonna talk about the question of like what should I do with my life? And I well I think this is an important question because I have a lot of friends who are young including myself who are consistent, like constantly thinking about how I, I mean, we just have no idea what we're supposed to do with our lives. Like a lot of people getting degrees and stuff and yeah, they're getting a degree in something, but they're not, I don't know. It just feels like there's a ton of confusion in the 20, the young 20 age of like, even for myself is like, I'm, I'm getting a, like a Christian ministries degree. And I'm like, I don't even know if, you know, it's a Christian ministries degree. You can, you can't really do much with that. And I'm kind of nervous about it. Or like, you know, I have friends who are getting degrees and whatever, and everybody's just kind mm-hmm. of worried about what, well, what am I actually supposed to be doing with my life and how do I figure that out? And so I guess, I guess we could just start out with asking that question and, what are young people supposed to do with their life or how are they supposed to figure out what they're supposed to do with their lives? Mm -hmm. John. (laughs) Well, I I'm curious to hear, cause Nick, you have this whole, I remember you saying on a different podcast that you had this like sheet that you worked people through and you, you reminded people of the sheet several times during the podcast, but I never actually saw what the sheet looked like that described how to decide what to do with your life. Do you know of this sheet I'm talking about? I do, yeah. It does exist. I didn't just say that to um okay, great. Well, to make everybody I... feel uncomfortable. <laughs> so if you had I, sheet, I can't I can't show it to you because know. the host has disabled screen sharing. But um 
the uh so okay here's the issue like um there's a a great book out there if you if you're from a tradition that believes in finding god's will in your heart like pray and the holy spirit will speak to you and then you find god's will if you're and if you're from that tradition and that tradition has either caused you to think things were god's will when it was your dumb mind telling you stuff or whether you have a lot of anxiety about like finding god's will and getting god's will right um then there's a book by a Philip Carey, a professor at Eastern, um, called Good News for Anxious Christians. Mm. And he talks about how that's real, the Bible doesn't really say that. So you can read the Bible and infer that God speaks to people because of all the millions of humans in the world. In the Bible, there are some a few humans he speaks to, right? And so every human then has to decide, do I generalize this principle where just like God spoke to Daniel, he'll speak to me. Though there were tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of Israelites in Babylon at the time of Daniel that we hear nothing about God speaking to and are nowhere told he speaks to them. Right. And so on. So like, do you generalize the principle of quote God speaking and therefore develop a internal psychological theology of God speaking and then make that theology normative to all Christians and then make that theology normative to all stages and times in Christians' lives so that at any moment you can be speaking with God because the Holy Spirit is with us? Or do you say God speaking to people is an irregular phenomenon? God leads people, but there's not a really analytical way the Bible explains that. And so you don't really have to hear God's voice in your heart to know if you should go to college or if you should marry that girl or guy or if you should you know, get pizza instead of Chinese food. Like you just have to make that decision. And all through the teachings of Jesus, for example, there just isn't any emphasis on hearing God's voice and then acting other than the fact that you see Jesus praying consistently and saying, I'm always doing the will of my father in heaven. But then you have to infer that all he's ever doing is hearing God's voice and then saying it, which the Bible never actually says. So sometimes with charismatic theology of a certain kind. I'm not saying all kinds, but a certain kind. Um, there are all these inferences in their biblical interpretations, and it feels really biblical when it's explained to you, but if you actually dig in, it's, it's not great. Okay, so what, what I do when I explain this to people is to start with the fact that what God calls you is a steward. And the concepts of stewardship is that um, you own nothing. Everything you have is God's, but everything you have is yours to act with, not God's to tell you. That you stewards are independent agents that act on behalf of an owner. Right. So the way I look at that is, is is that I'm hoping God is going to speak to me at times in my life. I would love it if God spoke to me every day and I invite God to speak to me every day and try to be prepared in my heart and mind to receive whatever God wants to give me. Right. But my experience is, is that just doesn't happen very often. A couple of times in my life, maybe in 43 years, I feel like God has spoken to me and I, I can't be sure. Right. Yeah, I was just gonna ask. Well, one, you can screen share now. I made it so you, so you could okay. do that. Um, two. Uh, <laughs> um, sorry to interrupt, but uh, yeah. you can screen share now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, sorry. I guess I have to come clean. Get now that there is no such. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So we have this. Okay. So here's here's my question about when you're talking about God's um, God's will. You you brought up like two two like different. Uh, thought processes one is the one is that so tell me if i'm getting this wrong 
one is somebody who who believes that like god speaks to you like all the time or that there's not specific right he speaks to you in the impressions within your consciousness so like it's it's sort of like a voice inside you that you learn to hear it's not an audible voice outside of you in most cases I've always struggled with that because I am very high in what psychologists call neuroticism in, in personalities. So I'm very attenuated, especially to negative emotions and bad things that can happen. And so I've always had like seven voices inside my head since I've been conscious of life. Yeah. I was going to ask, how can you even know which one is God's voice? There's too many. Yeah. I mean, something that the, something that, that I know John Piper has talked about is like the, the self-authenticating nature of God's voice. If you hear him speak, like John Piper talks about how he had, he had one experience where he knows God talked to him. And it was like the test that he used was sort of, it's like self quote unquote, self-authenticating nature. That's like when, when he heard this voice, it like, it was self-authenticating in that, like he just knew it was God because it was like so precise, so exact and was like, like, speaking directly to what was happening um although that's a brought, usually brought thing. total peace right yeah 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 so okay so that's that that's part of the thing is like when i was in sort of charismatic christianity college there was this kind of idea that like once i received the holy spirit if i was open to god's voice god would talk to me very consistently and about all kinds of things and in stories were told to people like i was driving home from work and i just got in my mind that i needed to bring somebody a gallon of milk so so i decided i I want to obey god's voice so i went to a store and i bought a gallon of milk i didn't know where i was taking it and then i was i was driving home it said you know god spoke to me said turn here so i just turned there and then like you know the story ends with like coming to a house it's like some single mom and she's like oh my gosh thank you so much and like it was just like amazing and they got to share the gospel with her and whatever but like you know when an 18 year old college student walks away from that and goes okay i'm gonna do that so like I did that. Like I was like, hey, listen, I'm like, whatever like impressions out of nowhere come into my heart and mind and they don't seem demonic. I'll just do them. And it, it was just dumb. It like ended up being really dumb. Like <laughs> yeah. it wasn't God. It wasn't like, it was like, Oh my gosh, God did these amazing. It was like, yeah, that was, that didn't work at all. You know? And so I, I'm not, so like if, if you, if you have an impression that you think is God, then great. I mean, and if, especially if it's just like encourage that, like it's something that can't go wrong, like encourage that person or apologize to that person because you're an idiot, then, you know, by all means, whether that's your conscience or the voice of God, then you should obey it. Right. But, but if it's like marry John, like, well, you should have other reasons to marry John too, you know, like, unless it's a utterly self-authenticating voice from heaven that is probably audible. You know what I mean? So, um, part, part of the reason for this is, um, People just don't know that it's a how God relates to us is actually a fairly complicated theological question. And mm-hmm. some people in all different traditions seek to simplify it dramatically. Mm-hmm. And um, one way that happens in charismatic faith um, is just God speaks and you hear him inside your heart and that's it. And you should be. And that's right. Um, in, in the Catholic tradition, they talk a lot about nature, grace perfecting nature. So God wants to perfect our nature like us as human beings. He's not. Our, the problem that we're in, in bodies and we have the kind of consciousnesses we have and all that isn't a problem. That was God's intentional way of making us. It was, it was, it was his choice to do it and he thinks it's good. 
So what, what God is doing in redemption is he's perfecting what he made us to be. So grace, that is the actions of God, perfects nature or redeems nature. So when you first get saved or become a Christian and the Holy Spirit is working in you, he is working against entrenched sin. And so when you hear, quote, the voice of God, whether you're reading scripture or he speaks to you or the Holy Spirit, like whatever the reason your conscience is re-enlivened, it feels like it's speaking against your nature. Because not because it's against your nature, it's just it's against your habits. It's against your consciousness and the way you think. And so you you recognize early in your Christian faith that God is pushing back on you, right? Which is good because you're you're a slave to sin. So God's gonna have to push back on all this stuff to liberate you from the the domination of that slavery, habitual slavery. But as time goes on and God perfects nature, more and more you shouldn't be able to tell the difference between God speaking to you and your own conscience speaking to you. The the voices are indistinguishable, right? And they may have been indistinguishable in the first place because it may have been your re-enlivened conscience. Now, Christians believe that your enlivened conscience is the work of God's regeneration. It is the work of his spirit. It is a spiritual work. It is part of redemption. It's a miracle. It's an, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel supernatural when you talk about it that way. If your expectations are that something so fundamentally unnatural is going to happen to be supernatural that it is in and of itself self-authenticated. But it shouldn't be weird for us if we are composite beings that are both physical and spiritual in some kind of strange melding that what is spiritual would feel normal. Right? If our consciousness is in some way inherently spiritual, then engaging spiritually might feel not supernatural because we, what we do is because we are really naturalists in our minds is we think everything we've ever experienced is natural. Now I'm going to experience something supernatural. But the problem is no, you've already always been experiencing mind and mind has always been in some mean by some means supernatural. And so as you interact supernaturally, it feels natural, but it's, it's because of how you defined your mind, not because of the fact that God is disappointing. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so as that's the case, if that's the case, then the question is, well, then how do I find God's will? If God's will isn't me just feeling an impression like date her or go to that college or take this major or eat this hoagie, I then how do I, I do it? I remember, uh, do you guys ever heard of the Babylon Bee? It's like yes, the, I love Christian the Babylon Bee. Shout out to Babylon Bee. I remember, yeah, one of our, one of our sponsors, Babylon Bee. Uh, I remember seeing <laughs> a big sponsor. Yeah. A Babylon B article where it was like, it's like two college guys feel called to date same girl. <laughs> that kind of thing it leads into that kind of thing. Right, and both tell her that God spoke to them. L- listen, right. that's a joke. That literally, that literally happened in the charismatic ministries I was a part of. Like guys would be like, God told me to date you, and like, it turned out it was always the prettiest girl. Yeah, what the heck? That you sounds know? like borderline, like lying. That sounds like they're just lying to get the girl. Which well, is, no, I mean, you got to do what no, you got to do. I, no, it's the power of suggestion, right? If you if you if you can't really distinguish in your own, because like your mind, your your own con- Like, have you ever like gone running when you haven't been exercising, and you're like, there's a, literally a voice in your head that says, "You can you can stop running now." Yeah, like I, your own yeah. your your own mind will translate internal language into the second person, like it's talking to you. Yeah, no, right? absolutely. And so, yeah. like, if you're not very sophisticated in your understanding of human consciousness, you'll just be like, "Oh my gosh, that was God telling me I can stop running." Right <laughs> now, in that case, usually you know 
no, that's my that's, fat stomach right, telling me right. to stop running because I'm out of shape. Right. Your body, your body's consciousness is programmed to, to conserve energy. It doesn't realize that you have more food at home. That part of your mind doesn't. And so look, there's certain processes God has created for you. Naturally, it creates these certain, like if you see a pretty girl, there's a part of you that was like, uh, you, you need to go date her. Right. That's not the voice of God. Mm-hmm. That's the voice of testosterone. Right. <laughs> and, but if she's, but if you think you have to hear the voice of God in your heart, She's pretty, but she's also a Christian. You are attracted to her. Like, it's very easy to persuade yourself. And then you pray thinking about her. So you're you're having a prayer time. You're thinking about her. And you have an overwhelming internal impression that you should date her. That's that's just the power of suggestion. It's very, it's very normal, right? Mm-hmm. It's totally, it's not like it's weird. You would have a voice in your mind saying, date hot girl who loves Jesus. That's completely expected right the question that's is just something that you wanted all your life right that's you see in front of you now right <laughs> so um, i think it's just best so listen if you follow god that way and you think well god does speak to me fine just ask her out then just yeah. just ask her out like I, you know you can say I, you know i prayed about it and i really have peace about asking you out um and if you would like to go out with me i would like to go out with you but don't be like god told me we're destined to be together yeah it's that's creepy. It's creepy and probably false. And because think about it, like, do you really want God to tell you that? Like, and is that the sort of thing he tells you? Probably not. And so p- part of this gets into your theology of sanctification, how you grow. And God telling you what's going to happen is not how he rolls. Like embracing yeah. risk through courage as an act of faith is fundamental to the development of human character. Why would God be like, look, that girl you think is way out of your league or that person like, just no, you have to you have to take the risk and ask her out, and she might say no. And the question is, are you willing to take that risk? How devastating will it be? If it's too devastating, is that idolatry? Are you looking to her? Does that make sense? So, like, these are the mm-hmm. sorts of things that come up. So, I don't I don't think God normally does it, and I I especially don't think He normally does it in dating relationships. The only time I think God really speaks in initiating dating relationships is sometimes I think He will urge the hesitant one that they need to take a chance. Mm. But even then, I think it's something It can still be the power suggestion. Okay. So I'm looking at this, this, uh, what, I don't know, what should we call this? The Nick Gibson, what to do with your life chart. And it says finding God's will in the middle. And then it has eight things around that, that you can use these questions that you can ask yourself. Um, and so, okay. They, they all kind of seem to be based around like a couple of things. One of them is like knowing who you are. And so one of them says like fits your personality gifts, limit, uh, limitations, assets, and resources. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one is like knowing scripture. The, uh, another thing that I see is like knowing scripture. What does scripture forbid or enjoin? Is that the word enjoin? I didn't yeah. even know that is a real word. And so then like, it's to tell you what tells you what to do, do this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then another one that I see is kind of like, um one second uh is what like what do godly people advise this is like kind of like discipleship or mentorship but can can we break it down into like so if it how do you know if it fits your personal gifts limitations assets and resources because i found that when i first became or like first started getting back into into like christianity back when i was like 18 or 17 or something i my like gifts and limitations and assets and resources have seemed to shift and change over time and mm-hmm. like who I am. 
and God has been able to like reveal new things and take other things away from me that that might I might have looked at as gifts two years ago or three years ago, but now they're not they're they're whatever. I, so so to break it down like that, how do I know? How do I figure out who I am so that I know then what God's will for me specifically is? This is a big question. I think it can kind of get into the, I think, well, one thing that was helpful for me was when John started showing me what the like Enneagram was and what the, <laughs> the Myers Briggs was. But I also like, I, I see how that can, people get obsessed with those things too, in a really unhealthy way. So, so I guess, yeah, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Yeah. I mean, I think I, th- I think this is some of the work, especially as a, as a young Christian to, to really press into is like, is, is sort of the discovery of like, who am I? And like, what are the things that I want to do? Like, what are the things that call out to me? Like one of the, one of the guys who, um, who was really helpful for me in thinking about like, sort of like what to do with my life was Jordan Peterson. And one of the things he says is he's like, look, kind of like look around in the world around you, see what sort of problems call out to you that you could fix and do it. And I think that's a, obviously that's like a very base level way to start to think about this. But um, I think that was, that was helpful to be like, okay, what are, what are the sort of things that I'm just like naturally drawn to um, that are things that I feel like I could fix whether that's whether that's something within within the church or like in a job or whatever um saying that's helpful i mean i do think some of those some of those enneagram and myers-briggs things are are helpful as like beginning tools if you don't let them if you don't let them like box you into your life and like okay you know i think people tend to use tools like that and be like oh you know like i'm i'm just such a i'm just such a four that's that's why I do that that way because I'm just such a four, and it's like the goal. I mean, the goal with both of those tools is like they are meant to have sort of like a growth path. Like it's not meant to be like okay, you're this thing, so now you're here and you got to stay here. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, mean, so I think. Just, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say it's like interesting that the Enneagram has like a healthy like a healthy eight is like a two or something like that, mm-hmm. which is usually the exact opposite of what the one that you are. Right. And so if you just stay stuck, if you just stay stuck in your own little number, it, that's it just, uh, I don't even, I think right. that they don't even believe that. Right. Crap, no, they, the, they the, don't, they don't. I mean, the right. The Enneagram people anyways. So I think um, <laughs> some of those, these are some of the, I think, but I, I do think these are some of the most important questions that you can, that you can wrestle with as a young Christian is like, what are the things that are, that are true about me? And what are the things that are true about what I like to do? And what about, what are true about the things that I, that I have? And what, what does that mean for like, what directions I can go, you know? Um, like, I'm trying to think of an example. Like, I mean, if you're just not good at math, but you feel like you're being like called in some sense to like be an engineer, like that's probably not true. Like, so it, it, I mean, yeah. if you, you can, you can like cut out a lot of the things that would potentially be, that would potentially be calling out to you by looking at, okay, what can I, what can I actually do? What do I actually like to do? And that can be very helpful in kind of like putting, putting rails on some of the directions that you might go. Yeah. You guys can interject here. 
I feel yeah. like we are. I feel like I gave you a specific chart, and you're like bouncing around slowly in ways that might confuse the listener. Like okay. so all these things you've said are on this chart. Okay, so can I just read the things for the listener? Yeah, and then read them off. Read can, them okay. Off. So okay, so I I use was it six, seven, eight, eight things. Okay, so first is what does scripture forbid or enjoin? So if scripture says not to do it, then you don't do it. So you're you're not called to be a stripper, for example. That's you can feel like you're called. You're not called to be a stripper. Right. Um, it's just or, like there's or a pimp or a pimp or a pimp. No yeah. I don't want to be too. Yeah. Right. So the, like, there are certain things you're not called to do. Right. It's, there's, you know, there's sometimes people debate whether or not Christians therefore should be in the military. I think they sh- can. I think it's part of, but like the, one of the first things is does scripture say yes or no to this or something that is fundamentally involved in this. Okay. The second is what is in your heart and conscience to do. Right. So it's in your heart. You want to do it. You're interested in it. But it's also in your conscience, too, that is at the moral center of yourself. You believe it's good. Like the part of you that wants to do it isn't the flesh. The part of you that wants to do it is your heart, but it's your heart in connection with your conscience. Does that make sense? So some people are like, yeah, I want to do it. And it's because they want to make a lot of money or they want to be affirmed by a lot of people or they want to be thought awesome. And it's not I want to improve the lives of others. I want to provide real value to other people. So it's that's why I say what is in your heart and conscience to do because it narrows the like I'm interested. Right. Third is what do godly people advise? So there's other godly people in your life. Do they advise that you do this? Right. Fourth is, is it a real need and opportunity? So what John was saying, look out in the world and what needs attention, right? So is the thing a real need or a real opportunity? Um, Fifth is, is the door open or does it open with persistence? So sometimes people talk about, did God open the door? God opened the door for me. Right. Like you apply to college and you get rejected. Maybe that's not God's will. Right. Door is not open. <laughs> yeah, the nice way to Door say is it. closed. Right, like you ask out a girl, and she's like, "No." All right. Well, maybe you'll ask her again, but for now, that's closed. Right, and so you can. Ha- it's it's okay to like have some persistence. You don't want to be like, "Well, I applied for a job and I didn't get one today. It's not God's will for me to get a job." Right, like sometimes you have to have some persistence, but sometimes God is signaling the door is closed. You're not going there. Just he's he's closing the door. You can't. You're not going to be able to do it. And then. um, the next is internal sense of God's leading. I, I mean, I include that. I believe in that. I think sometimes people feel God leading them. It's just one of eight things, though, right? Mm-hmm. Um, seventh is it fits your personal gifts, limitations, assets, and resources. Like, you're equipped for it. Does that make sense? So, like, like the, John was talking about engineering and math. If you don't have any gifts in math and you want to do a form of engineering that requires a lot of math, well, you're not gifted for it. That's a good indication that's not God's will for your life. And then last is it's intrinsically good, true, and meaningful. That is the thing is a good thing. Like it has its own moral standing and it's worth doing. That's why like when my son asks me if I'd be proud of him, if he was a professional video game player, my answer is there's probably a way you can do that, that I would find a way to be proud of you. But I don't believe that that has in, the level of intrinsic value as many other things you could do in your life would have. So I wouldn't be as proud of you as if you did something intrinsically good. Right. Mm -hmm. Which in my mind is different from a video game creator because Mm -hmm. I think video games have the capacity to create joy and amusement and camaraderie and those kinds of things. And so there's at least a potential there, but it's kind of like inventing Twitter. Like uh, there, there are some Mm -hmm. things you could do in your life that are, broadly misused but they could be good i mean i can imagine a world in which there's a social media that somebody invented that was good in its use so kanye is trying to create a christian version of tiktok right now 
I don't know if you guys heard about that, but he's obsessed with he's obsessed with he saw TikTok and he was like, I see all this garbage that's on it and it's over sexualizing kids and stuff like that. And he's like, we need a Christian. We need Jesus talk. And so he's in talks with the owner, the creators of TikTok to make Jesus talk. So your wish yeah. might come true, Nick, to have a yeah, productive social media. So so anyway, the, the point of this chart that I've made is is not to like chart out the will of God because, it, it, you know, it's going to be a somewhat subjective process. I mean, all of these are in some ways subjective. I'm just trying to take, you know, your average 22 year old that's afraid they have to hear God's voice in their heart or they're never mm-hmm. going to find God's will. And then once they're off it, they're off it forever. And just be like, that's just not how it works mm-hmm. at all. God's will for you is revealed. He's told you what he wants. He wants you to become like his son, Jesus the Christ, by becoming holy and being like that in whatever you do. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. beyond that, his secret will for you, you can only discover. Yeah. Right. And so if you, as you work through life, you should do it in holiness. And the way the Bible lays out making these decisions is this way I've just said. Um, now, now, could we come up with nine things or could we narrow this down to seven? Sure. Probably. But in my experience, when I do counseling with young people, they are confused about one of these eight things mm-hmm. or they don't eight know about seven of them. Things. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's I think <laughs> yeah. it's helpful. I think it's helpful, too, to have some clarity on the statements like God's will or calling, like yeah. how how when those are used, when, t- typically when those are used in scripture, like we I mean, we've just were going through First Thessalonians and when it's describing God's will for your life, the things that it's describing are characteristics of godliness. Like it's saying God's will for you is this to, to be a godly person as opposed to, to, to follow this specific narrow, like railed in path. And like, well, let's break that down. John. Yeah, like in, in first Thessalonians four, it's like to be able to control your own sexuality. Right. Like that's, it's really okay. Weird. What is God? Okay, right. Let's break this down. What I've wanted to do this for a long time on this podcast of so breaking down what is godliness because you you could go to fifteen different churches and you will find fifteen different viewpoints of what Jesus looks like and what God what godliness is. Mm-hmm. And I think like that there's got like what is godliness in in your? I mean, I've read your book, Nick. So I'm not like really asking this for me, but I, but I think a lot of people out there, like you're the, it feels like your whole ministry at high point is, which is the church that we all go to is, uh, is basically is a a ministry of high point church. It it is not, (laughs) it is not, uh, your whole ministry seems like dependent upon people growing in godliness. And that's what you, it seems like you're trying to push. And so why does Nick know what godliness is compared to, let's say, Joe Schmo, who leads, you know, God Church in Madison on the other side of Madison? Like, why? What is it? I don't understand this. Yeah. Okay. so. okay, so godliness is the proper imitation of God. Right. So human beings are made in God's image. God, um, the second person of the Trinity, the son became Jesus the Christ to more perfectly display 100% image-bearing humanity and then to die for our sins. So that the theme in Scripture is there is a version of humanity that is fully embodying the image of God and the purpose God made us for, and it is in His image. And to the extent it's in His image, it reflects Him and is like Him. And so to fully embody that is to be like God in the ways we were meant to be 
and is godliness. So to be godly is simply to reflect God in the ways down. Listen, it's very, there's, and theologians refer to this as the communicable and the incommunicable attributes of God. That is, there are certain ways we are in God's image and can image God. And there are other ways in which we're not and we can't. So I'm not omnipotent, right? But I have power, right? And to the extent to which I mirror God's goodness, I can use my power to be creative. But I'm not a creator in the same way God is. Does that make sense? So in these smaller, more conditioned ways, relative to my creation as a human being, I can image God, though I'm not Mm -hmm. him. And so godliness is just taking on the role for which we were created to be like God. Right? So then you're like, okay, well then, gosh, that's general. Yes. But then all of scripture fills that out. It's like when people say, well, in Genesis 1, what does made in the image of God mean? It never says. Exactly. The whole rest of scripture explains it implicitly. Mm-hmm. Right? And so godliness, therefore, is a complex category. There are summaries in the Bible, like Second Peter 1, 5, you know, add to your faith, goodness to goodness, knowledge to knowledge, self-control to self-control. Perseverance to perseverance, godliness to godliness, brotherly kindness to brotherly kindness, love. Like that progression is a progression to godliness and then to the fullness of love, which of course is part of godliness. But, um, right. So holiness is also kind of a catch all, but it means something slightly different. Holiness means to be set apart for and fitted for a particular task and to be used for that task. So those two things overlap. To be a Christian is to be both holy, set apart for a task and to be used for that task and to be godly to mirror and image God in all the ways we are supposed to, as we bear his image redeemed in Christ. Does that make sense? So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, godliness definitely has a broad definition. So in first Thessalonians four, godliness includes, for example, controlling yourself sexually. And later in the chapter, it includes not dishonoring brothers and sisters in Christ and treating them well. Later in the chapter, it includes um, loving other people and showing love for them. So it, inc- it includes a, a really broad category of things. It is the catch-all word of what it means to be completely like Jesus, who was the perfect representation of the Father within humanity. So, okay, that makes that that all makes sense. I, this this the whole question of like what should I do with my life also also then is just like how do I become a godly person too? Right, but it I, feels I, like I, right. I, so I think it's funny when when people ask like. You can you can have an answer when when some young Christian comes to you and says, "How do I follow God's will?" You can be like, "Well, here's how you follow God's will." It's like this is laid out in in a couple different spots where it says, "This is God's will." Like in in the end of First Thessalonians two, it says, or end of yeah, yeah, last Sunday sermon, right? Right. Love your love your leaders. Give people what they need. You know, tell people what they need to hear mm-hmm. in the moments, in the kind of ways. And then, like, do the stuff personally yourself. Right. And this is God's will for you in Christ yep. Jesus. Starting in yeah, right. 1 Thessalonians 5, starting in verse 16. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And obviously, that's also referring to the, the portion that's above that yeah. as well. But. Yeah, this portion above that too, yeah. But right, so you can, yeah. I mean... I think that's, and I you think could argue you could argue that statement on God's will goes all the way up to the beginning of chapter four at least. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's 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 a broad injunction, but it includes those those specific personal disciplines. Mm-hmm. And I think I think this particular verse is also helpful in the in the God's will thing. Is Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine says the hidden things belong to the Lord our God, but the revealed things belong to us and our children forever, 
so that we may follow all the word all the words of this law. And so there, there's a distinction made in that verse of the the like the, sort of the hidden things, or this is sometimes called like the hidden will of God, and the revealed will of God, or the things that belong to to us and to our children. And those the the way those two t- two things tend to work out is like the hidden will of God are all the intricacies of how all lives are going to go, of like where God does specifically want you to go. But those are the hidden things that He's not going to reveal to you. And he's demanding that you follow the revealed things of God, that you follow these these injunctions to become godly, these injunctions to um, to to live with uh, with with stewardship, like receiving the things that he's given you and then using them well in the world. Um, and the I mean, this whole uh, Deuteronomy 29, the whole portion before this is saying, like, this is why you've had such problems. And it comes to the end where it's saying, like. The hidden things belong to the Lord, but the revealed things belong to us. And so we need to follow those revealed things and not try to do the hidden things of the Lord. Um, And this seems like it's, it's like kind of going with like walking, walking in the spirit when it, when like people. So, so, so what I hear you saying is like, when you're, when, when you're doing these things that have been revealed becoming godly in these commands that Jesus has given us and you're following those things that will lead you into the hit the hidden that that will lead you into the hidden whatever like through that you're able to now do the hidden will of god because you're in step with what the spirit is yeah is telling you to do in your life is that wrong or is that right yeah so there's this in the extended version of the lord of the rings there's this there's this moment where like aragorn is realizes he has to go on this quest right and yet he doesn't know what's going to happen and he's afraid it's going to go bad because his like his the the person who he's living out this story like Isildur that came before him morally failed and he's afraid he's going to be like this other guy and and Eric Arwen the, the his elvish girlfriend who becomes his wife basically says <laughs> like you do the right thing now and the path will come up under your feet mm-hmm. Right, like, and, and that's kind of the idea between between the hidden will of God and the revealed will of God. God has revealed that is He's told you to do certain things, right? And and Moses says, and and these things are for us and our children. Like we can we can always know these things, and this is what we should be doing and being about. And then if we do these things, the hidden will of God that we could never know and God isn't going to tell us will come up under our feet as we walk, and we'll discover it as we live our lives. One of the things I say to young people all the time is. You waste your time and you waste your life and you waste your emotions trying to plead with God in prayer to tell you what he has explicitly said. He's not going to tell you mm-hmm. how your life is going to go, what you should do, all that kind of stuff. He's not going to tell you in most cases what he, what he wants to tell you. He has already told you, which is he wants you to believe in his Christ, to receive his spirit, to walk, learn to walk in godliness and to become yourself in him. By living out his spirit and his, his the image that's in you through his spirit in full redemption. And when you do that and are his steward, you realize that as you do that walking, everything that you have is you have to make decisions about it, but it all belongs to God. And you walk as that steward. God's hidden will will happen. It comes up under your feet. But if you get what happens, if you if you say, no, I want to know God's secret will, you will neglect God's revealed will. And you'll end up mad at God and he will resist you because he's not going to give into that kind of idolatry. It will destroy you. 
right? So that distinction of the hidden will and the revealed will of God and giving yourself entirely to the revealed will of God mm-hmm. and then in your life discovering the hidden will of God that is the right way to like, walk through it out as a Christian. It sounds a lot like Adam and Eve. The, the, the hidden... Eating the fruit was like the hidden will. I don't know. That sounds like Adam. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm off. No. See that. the hit. See, here's the problem. The problem in the garden was the hidden will of God was God didn't tell them how He was going to reveal to them the knowledge of good and evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was going to. He just hadn't done it yet, and they had to be patient and find and wait to see how He would do it. The revealed will of God was do not eat from that freaking tree. <laughs> yeah. So the choice they were making was: Do I a just do what God says right now and then find out what's going to happen. Or do I believe this snake who's telling me that God isn't good? He's not going to give me good things. That is his secret will for me isn't good. Mm-hmm. And I can't trust him to reveal it. So I have to go against the revealed will of God in order to get a better future because I can't trust the secret will of God. That's literally what every single 20 year old that I talk to is doing. I mean, that obviously that's an overstatement, but that's the impulse we all have, which is to say, I can't just do what God says and then see what happens. Mm-hmm. What I have to do is I have to take what I want. But listen, virtually every time you reach out and take what you want, what you end up doing is you reject the revealed will of God. You disobey him. You don't do what he says. You don't act in faith. You don't walk in the spirit. In fear and pride and idolatry, you do something else. And you both, and so you do in some way, quote, destroy the secret will of God for you because you you're not obeying. And so you're walking directly away from what God calls the path of blessing, which is the the freedom he has to give you good because you're walking in accordance with his plan. The only thing you can do to be part of God's hidden plan is to do your part to do it. Think about it this way. Imagine like a D day where like um, 50,000 soldiers are going to do something now for secrecy reasons. So the enemy can't know the plan. You can't be told the whole plan, right? Every group of soldiers is only told their operative mission for that day so that if anybody falls in enemy hands, the enemy can't find out the whole plan, right? So and it's an incredibly intricate plan. You might not even have the capacity to understand it, but you just have to hit your part of the beach and do your thing. But if you overthink it and say, well, I don't know what the big plan is, but I'm going to do something to beat these Germans. Well, what you're going to do is you're going to screw up the whole freaking plan. What you need to do is you need to do your part. And if you do your part, you will find later you were part of a perfectly orchestrated thing that was only perfectly orchestrated among the people who were willing to do what they were told. Right. And so that's what we have to recognize as Christians is like, yes, the universe is incredibly complex. So is your life. You have very little control over it in a lot of ways. All you can do is react as a steward with the things you can control in accordance with what God has shown you he wants you to do. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all he's ever asked of you. And then you get to discover his good yeah. providence for your life. And I think, I think something that's important to you is to, is to like in your mind, build the dignity of doing that. Like it's, I think it's easy to, it's easy to view like this, this sort of like knowing God's will theology of like, of knowing the specific path that I'm supposed to be on is like a, as like a flashier or better, or like somehow like somehow like a cooler thing, if it were possible. And like, you've got to, you've got to cut that lie down. Like what that's, I mean, not, not only, 
I mean, not only is that not what the scriptures have revealed, but if you even just like follow the logic of what that will actually do is like that will turn you into a child. Like that will turn you into somebody yeah. who isn't capable of thinking, who isn't capable of making decisions, who isn't capable of pressing into hard things with bravery because you need to wait until you're told to do something. Like the point, the literally like the point of growing up from being a child into being an adult is like the point where you start to take responsibility for your own decisions. And like God is working that same sort of process in you. So, so view yeah. this process it, of, or go ahead. Yeah. I mean, like a, as a child, then how you end up developing is you become more and more of a drama queen because <laughs> you want to be famous. Like what you want the, the secret will of God to be is for you to be like Rihanna or like Beyonce or like, mm-hmm. so, like the president or something like, and so when the secret will of God is you're going to bump into somebody today who you already know who you need to say an affirming word to. Mm-hmm. that's that's the secret will of god you don't know it but that's what's going to happen today right or i mean one of the things right and you're just like waiting for the secret will of god to be revealed that you're going to be a famous person or that like yeah, some incredible uh, thing is going to happen are you going to fall in love with somebody and be madly in love the rest of your life none of that's going to happen none of that's going to happen. i mean it that could happen but it's most <laughs> likely not going to happen it's so unlikely that it's probably best for me to say that's not going to happen. well you you are yeah. talking to the founder of the opti podcast here nick so that's, that's, the, that's, that's the one problem you got here nick. <laughs> I, know. I know but yeah. like i found that in my life like everybody wants to be right. so amazing at what they do to be and be recognized like i've i do i still to this day i don't know why i'm not the most famous pastor in america like it, it, it befuddles me. Right. But like, that's who cares, right? Like there's some widow today. I'm going to encourage. There's some person I'm going to apologize to. There is like, I'm going to help do the dishes because my wife's going to need me to do that. Cause she's reading for this class. Like the secret will of God I'm going to discover is going to be like a lot of non glamorous things. And if I, if I proceed the way John is saying, and I make myself a child, it's going to make me a drama queen and I'm going to be pissy about everything I'm supposed to do in godliness and not embrace it wholeheartedly out of love and do it with beauty. And so mm-hmm. part of part of growing up is in God is realizing that stewards do very normal things. Mm-hmm. They oversee farms, right? Like in the Bible, you'll like oversee a farm and you're like, well, we got to move these cows, you know, to the other acreage today. Like it's not exciting. But the thing about farms is if you just take care of them over time, they flourish. Mm-hmm. You bring out their creative potential, the potential God put in them. And that, in many ways, that's all we're ever doing. So, yeah, so there's there's a paradigm change that has to happen here, mm-hmm. I think, for people to be. And what this does is in some ways you're like, what, you want me to give up my dreams? Well, yes, probably, um, if they're stupid fleshly dreams. But But like what I really want you to do is to be able to just relax. And to embrace the wholesomeness and reality of your life instead of a a fake life and a fake consciousness and a fake self. It feels like there's one of these ideas is one that will like tear you away from Christ. And the other one is one that will bring you closer to him. Because I think about like I think about myself being like a performance driven person in general. If I'm not. If I think that the 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 secret will of God is actually the the not the, the, the revealed will of God. And if I like think that I should be famous or something like that, and that's my like bar and I don't ever reach it, I'm going to think that God's like disappointed in me and that this is an issue that me and God have with each other. And then I'll be like, well, I'll I'll never reach that goal. And then I'll just walk away. I think that it feels like that happens all the time with people my age is that they, they set this expectation of 
of this, like, here's what God wants me to do with my life. It doesn't work out, whether it's like finding a finding the perfect wife or whatever it is. And they just kind of let their relationship with God do, like dwindle and it yeah. just doesn't go well. Um, yeah. So let me do a couple of really quick bits. So I think when you said the word perfect, I think that that gets at something people feel they want. Their, they That's what they want. They want a, a perfect life. Mm-hmm. And um, the way the Greeks philosophically used the word perfect was the, the best of all that can be imagined. Right. So it's, it was the form. It was the best of all possible, the best possible something could be was the perfection in Hebrew, in the Hebrew context, perfect meant whole and complete and mature. So a perfect apple could have what we would consider imperfections, but if it's whole, complete, and mature, it's good to eat. It's perfect. So I tell my girls all the time, girls, you're perfect in the Hebrew sense, but you're perfect. <laughs> you know? And sometimes they'll say that, be like, I'm I'm perfect in the Hebrew. I've heard them tell friends that at like speech tournaments. They're like, listen, in the Hebrew sense, you're perfect. And they're like, what are you talking about? You know? So I think that's important. So like we do want, the, I want every person listening to this. I listen, I want you to have the perfect life and God wants you to have the perfect life, but in the Hebrew sense, not the Greek sense. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's incredibly important. Okay. The second is one of the reasons why um, younger people get caught up in this whole idea of seeking this, the secret will of God when they're not going to get it is because of the nature of human life, especially in a land of opportunity. So if you take your average like UW student who's gotten into like a top 20 college and like all this kind of stuff, one of the things they realize after a while is they're going to pick at least two extremely major things in the next few years. The first is what they're going to do with the waking hours of their life. Like 50,000 hours of their life is going to be spent working, hopefully. And what the heck are they going to do? And they're picking something. And when they pick something, they're picking one thing and nothing else. So they're converting this an enormous amount of potential that could be anything into a particular thing. And that is terrifying. And then they are going to convert the option of every available woman or man in the world that they could marry and commit themselves to. And they're going to narrow that down to one. Right. And that is terrifying. Right. So you make like if your life is progressing, you're pursuing at least a few decisions. And there's other decisions too, right? That are going to define you and you're, cha- you're converting this enormous amount of potential to actual. Now, you can't stop it because if you don't, eventually you spoil. Like a, like a peach on the shelf. Like it turns out you get older and you should go ahead and get married sooner rather than later. You know what I mean? Um, it, but, but also like in terms of work, you got to get going on your career. Like if you want to have a great career when you're 35, you need to start it at 22. Like your twenties are for something, right? Mm-hmm. And you can't just screw around and think that your thirties, forties and fifties are going to be fantastic. They're not right. You're defining who you are in your twenties in a way that is incredibly profound. You're, you're going through a second big phase of brain development that is that where you're people don't realize this, but like in the first eight years of your life, your mind is incredibly open. And it's taking everything and it's changing super rapidly. But in your adolescent years from like 15 to 25 in there, your, your brain is getting rid of a lot of stuff. It's narrowing down. And the problem is, is that if you're in terrible relationships and you're letting people abuse you and you're not doing anything in your career and you're basically just drinking soda and playing video games and watching porn or whatever, right? Your brain while your mind is making those choices, your brain is picking those pathways and saying, oh, this is how we're going to live our lives. 
And those then are then now your brain's brain still retains plasticity, but those are much more ingrained. So we had a little bit of technical difficulty uh, since we're doing it from home, but Nick was in the middle of a sentence. I, do you want to finish what, what you were saying, Nick? Well, the middle, where did I, where'd you lose me? You're talking about your twenties and oh gosh, what was the specific sentence you were on? Yeah. I don't, I don't. So, 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 so your, your twenties are an incredibly developmental process and you can't yeah. avoid that. Right. So there's this saying for a while that uh, 30 is the new 20 and it's not, it never will be. It can't be biologically speaking. It just doesn't work that way. Um, so Meg, Meg Jay's book, yeah, yes. Meg Jay's book, the defining decade yeah. is very helpful on yeah. this and it's a little bit older now, but it's just as salient as when she wrote it, yeah. um, that your twenties in some ways set up the rest of your life, your adult life. And you, dare not waste them. So, so what, what I, what I want to encourage Christians to do is embrace the developmental process of their twenties that like you are still an idiot and you're, you're not that good at your job. And it's, it's really scary to pick a spouse and all that, but that's only if you don't commit yourself wholeheartedly to the developmental process. Right? So if you believe that God's revealed will is your focus, well, God's revealed will is, is almost entirely developmental. Be godly. So you'll be doing exactly what you need to do in your twenties and the rest of your life. And you'll become the kind of person that can make decisions about careers and decisions about spouses and decisions about churches and decisions about how to use your time and what to care about and all that. So I think that focusing on God's revealed will helps you in the great conversions of potential to actual. But then also those eight things I said, I think you can work through a process theologically and personally that will lead you to make those decisions. But if you do it that way with those eight things, it's less childish. It embraces being a steward. It includes others' godly wisdom. It forces you to grow towards maturity, and it helps you go through a process of learning to know yourself, mm-hmm. which I think God is way more interested in than telling you what to do. Okay, I got a, I got a question. Um, you don't have the the graph thing up anymore, but one of them said the get the advice from uh, godly people. Yeah, what and, do godly people advise? Yeah, what do godly people advise? Okay, this is something that I I'm just gonna say, I I agree with that. I've gotten a lot of good advice from godly people, but a lot of young people. Are, <laughs> uh, I'm not a big fan of crew, and so a lot of young people are told by crew get a communications degree and then join the crew staff. This is a big thing, and I'm not specific. Yeah. I don't I, crew is probably not the only. thing that does this but it's the only one that i know and that is like that is a that's been going on for a while yeah and And it seems and and like a crew has changed staff workers a number of times and i think that that i don't that's i mean i remember a a young woman like seven years ago saying look if one more guy in pre-med switches to communications and goes on staff with the crew i'm gonna blow something up and so i mean i I don't know let's listen i don't know the extent to which that's true i don't know how much that is rumor what I do know is that there is this really strong emphasis in outreach and crew organizations like crew need staff workers and they need, they don't just need the dumbest. They need some of the best and brightest and some percentage of people who could do other things like be doctors have to become people who give their life to ministry. But yeah, it feels like it's easy to overemphasize things. That's true. Yeah. It's well, when I talk to people who have been involved in it, they, they, they feel an immense amount of pressure. And so what I'm what I'm saying is, yeah. 
and and certain people just wouldn't be good as crew staff, but they feel pressure and then they do it. And maybe they feel like they've wasted some time of their life. And so when we're talking about taking advice from godly people, how do we differentiate that from taking advice from people with an agenda? And I don't think that everybody in crew yeah. has an agenda to do this or whatever, but right. but there's there's certainly people who do do that. And so how do yeah. you differentiate that, especially people that you respect? Like if 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 I just shouldn't be a pastor and and Nick and John, because you guys both work in the church, are like, Andy, you should become a pastor and just because you are or because you need more people to do that. Mm-hmm. I, I, that would be stupid. And I would be like, I, I don't think I should do this. So how do you differentiate? Yeah. yeah I mean, I think, yeah. So first, let, first, I, I think we should say first, we want to invite on any crew staff member who hears about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'd love to have you on the podcast and talk about your theology of recruitment and helping people find a calling in ministry um, relative to other things, because everybody who wants to encourage people to do what they do has to engage in recruitment, which is to try to get somebody to do what you're doing, right? So like, I do that with interns all the time. I'm always trying to recruit interns. Now I have a really soft sell approach. I say, be an intern for a few months and find out whether or not God's maybe, whether or not you like this work and maybe maybe you want to do it. Um, and But what I usually tell college students is, don't change your major. Mm-hmm. Like I do not encourage college students to, because like, listen, do pre-med and then go on staff with crew. Like it's fine. Like, yes, you won't be able to lead eight Bible studies when you're an undergrad. That's true because your coursework will be more demanding. But when you become a staff worker for crew, let's say you do. Like, let's say you do pre-med, you do a lot of chemistry, and then you become a staff worker for crew. What have you wasted? Well, nothing, right? Okay, because, you're, yeah, your communication may not be as slick. But when people ask you demanding philosophical questions because they're struggling with their faith or when people ask you demanding philosophical or scientific questions when you're doing evangelism, or when you have to teach undergrad students apologetics so that they can be more effective at evangelism, you may be way better if you studied the hard sciences, especially if you're at a hard science school. My brother is doing college ministry very much like crew to this day. He was in university when he was an undergrad and he became an engineer, studied geology, did a master's in theology on the side and has a PhD and a master's in all engineering stuff. Right. And he is the go-to speaker at this college ministry at UC Davis because all these engineering students come to hear him. If he had been a communications major, they wouldn't give a crap what he was saying. Do you understand? So like, um, I think, so if, if, a, if a, so I think recruitment has a lot of responsibility built into it, but I think that, um, yeah, when you, I think, but I think you hit on the thing. I know John, can, I think John should get into this because he's going through this process right now. Did I get wrongly recruited some years ago? Right. <laughs> Um, but I think it's important to recognize what you're getting at the thing, Andy, which is if you're being recruited, the person recruiting to you has personal interest mm-hmm. in you doing what they do. And you have to bear that in mind and think about it and not let it influence you. Right. And therefore mm-hmm. I, if I would go for godly advice to people who are not so interested. So I would say, yeah, if you go to high point church, talk to elders at high point or a pastor at high point, who's not part of crew and say, should I do this? Mm-hmm. And we'll get, we'll, I mean, we'll give you a nonpartisan view because we're, we're not, a, I don't have to recruit crew staff members, right? Now, if I say, well, no, you shouldn't do crew. You should be an internet high point. Well, now you have two interested parties. Go find a third <laughs> not interested party. So that makes sense. Yeah. John, you, you could probably have something to say about this because I know like 
Vince is important in both of our lives and Vince is totally and he's always yeah. like dude you got to do ministry and it's like good cuz it's really encouraging but I, yeah do you want to tell a, about like, a, your experience he is a that? hardcore recruiter yeah i mean i think i i think everything that nick's saying is right like you got to you got to just be careful and you've got to balance those things and i think when you're as you're seeking to become the kind of become the kind of godly person who can give advice like keep that in keep that in mind that like you don't know i mean try to follow the same way that god encourages people to move you know like try to follow some of the the same sort of things where god is encouraging people towards a specific kind of living and sort of towards becoming a certain kind of person he's not so much caught like telling individual people to okay, you fill this particular slot, you fill this particular slot. So just be careful in the way that you give advice. Mm -hmm. Like, I think it's, I think it's totally wise and fine to notice in somebody. And this is, so, I mean, yeah, a little bit of my story is I was, I mean, years ago I had conversations with Vince and Vince was like, dude, you can, you can preach, you should be a pastor. And that was a, like, that was a, what he was doing was noticing some of my gifts and being like, Hey, it seems to me that this particular this particular vocation, uh, this particular job, like lines up with the kind of gifts that I see that you have. Um, but I think I think maybe the part where he was a little, um, maybe just too strong, or I was too too like kind of moldable at the time when I was receiving it, was was just like saying it as like a this is what you're supposed to do, this is what you're called to do, like you have to do this, like this is the thing for you. Um, so just be, just be careful either giving or receiving <clears throat> that kind of advice. Like totally notice the things that are in somebody, yeah. notice the things that are true about their character, notice the things that are true about the temperament, notice the things that are true about what they like to do and what they don't like to do. And maybe suggest, Hey, you could try this thing. Given what I, given like all the data that I see, it seems like this might be a good fit for you, but, but be careful about telling somebody what their, yeah. what their destiny is, you know? Yeah. In fact, I, one of the things I tell younger people, so, cause, cause there's this, I, like, I remember my brother and I both went through this. We, we got, we got saved um, in high school. Both of us went to college. We're part of college ministries. Both of us were the presidents or the head point student leaders of our ministries. And both of us felt like if you love Jesus a hundred percent, really, truly hundred percent, you should give your life. You should literally give your physical life for Jesus, which means for Stan, my brother, was to be a missionary in Nepal. And for me, it meant going into academic ministry. I was going to get a PhD and be like a traveling philosopher like William Lane Craig, right? And Stan, my brother, went to Nepal, and he spent some time there, and he came back, and he, he was work, trying to work through all of this. And ultimately, God opened really cool engineering doors for him in the government, right? So he was a floodplains engineer in Buffalo, New York. And then like two years in, which is unheard of, he got this think tank job in UC Davis, which is like one of the, they handled like the most difficult civil engineering hydraulic problems, hydrology problems in the entire country. And they write code that is used for these hydrology problems for the entire world. And in a, just a few years, he was the world, top world scientist in this field, right? And he was, he was at this church and he was having a ministry to college students who were the, all these engineering students who some were coming to faith, many were getting built up in their faith or not losing their faith. And like he had made this home in Davis. And so here, here he is like 15 years later 
he's not dying for Jesus in Nepal. He's a well-respected, academically successful engineer in a hoity-toity California liberal city, buying a hundreds of thousands of dollars house with his kids in like, like soccer programs. And like, he's literally a soccer dad, engineer, doctor, right? Like he gets his PhD and it's like literally the life he feared when he was 21. Like that he would forget about, G- you know, like he wouldn't do everything for Jesus, right? But the problem is, is like, okay, so the question is, did he fail? Or was he wrong that if you give yourself to Jesus 100%, that means you go into ministry? It is ministry, is the, is the vocation of ministry about how committed you are to Jesus or something else, right? And if it's how committed you are to Jesus, that's a very terrible thing. Now, on one level, it is for people who are entirely committed to Jesus. But everybody is supposed to be entirely committed to Jesus if they belong yeah. to Jesus. And <laughs> yeah. so if, if you're like, oh, you totally believe you totally believe in Jesus, you care about the world, and you want to see people reach, oh, that means you should go into ministry. Uh, not really. Not really. No. There's like 50 other criteria. And even then, it's still only if you want to. Because like I could have easily been something else. And like John can easily be something else. Right? Like all the gifts that it takes to be a minister, almost all of them are necessary to be a military lieutenant colonel or a really good lawyer or a good public servant or whatever. A lot of things. Yeah, so I would even, yeah, I would even argue that like it, it could even be even like more harder to not do ministry. Like, like ministry seems like easy. You're surrounded by, I mean, it's not, I'm just saying it's, it's easy. But you're surrounded by a bunch of believers at your workplace and you're growing in your faith and you're studying God's word and doing all this stuff surrounded by Christians going out into the world and doing like whatever. If you're a carpenter or a lawyer or whatever it is, you're not surrounded by Christians all day. You're in the you're in the battle. You're in the war all all day. And 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 it seems like why well, seems like sometimes it feels like people who are in ministry sometimes are even disconnected from actually what's going on outside. And because of that, it can harm their ministry rather than help it. And so it, it does feel like, like if you want, if, if you, if you want to do the harder thing, maybe don't go into ministry, maybe go into the workplace. Cause that, that might be, I mean, but yeah, go where God's calling you to go. But, but it does, it does like yeah. there is this whole thing around ministry. It's like if you do ministry, you're doing like the important stuff. And I, I think it's way I think it's somewhat less important than going out into the real world. I yeah, I mean, I, I think that that is reasonable as like a rejoinder. Right. I mean, I, I think that that's the reason why people have talked about ministry as a calling. Right. Like you hear a voice. And the reason why people have used that language is because. If if what you do is based on a call then it's, it can be individual for each person. There's no moral value to one thing or the other. All work can be noble, right? The problem is, is that the minute you say that, now what does call mean? Does it mean hearing God's voice in your heart, right? That's the issue. So if you use the metaphor of a calling, then you only do it if you're called. But then now what does call mean? But something subjective. If you don't use it and you use an objective criteria, well, it's the most important thing that there is because this whole world's going to burn. Well, that's true for every Christian. Every Christian would believe that, that ultimately this, there is no future for the city of man, right? That's true. There's worthwhile things to do in the city of man, 
but why would then everybody go into full-time ministry other than that we can't afford it, right? So yeah, that is difficult. And that's why I use the eight-part system because in some ways you should, you should feel personally like ministry is so important that you couldn't do anything else for you. But at the same time, you can't preach that because those people have to go to work. Right. So in some ways I, I, it's, this is a, this is a, a really strong tension, but ultimately I believe that a, I could have done something else and God would have been just as pleased with me. I discovered his secret will was for me to be a pastor. Right. I didn't, I didn't determine it. And that I am no, I'm no more inherently godly than anyone else, nor do I please him more, do, nor do I deserve more reward. However, I do believe that the vocation of ministry is a difficult calling if done well. And some people aren't cut out for it in that it doesn't fit their gifts and callings and abilities. And they do have to do something that I would say is lesser, right? Because it's, some, it's something like being a soldier. Not everybody should be a soldier. So I don't think it's open to everybody, right? So I would say go through those eight criteria and see where they lead you. And for some, it'll lead you to ministry. For some, it won't, right? And But you should expect the church to say to you at some point in your life, should you do ministry? Everybody should hear that and everybody should grapple with it, right? And for the vast majority of us, the answer will be not vocationally. Not when you say lesser, you don't mean like less important. You just mean lesser in like impact or something. I don't... No, I mean lesser in terms that you're too weak to be in ministry. Some people okay. are not capable of doing this work. It's very difficult yeah. to do it well and to survive. Like, there are, there's a thousand ways to fall into affairs and heresy and despondency and gloom. And there's a thousand ways this, this work will break you. And listen, some people just need to work at convenience stores. Some people literally aren't smart enough. Some people literally aren't, they don't have a strong enough will. They can't bear the criticism. There's lots of reasons why some people are not cut out for this. But there's a lot of people who are cut out for ministry. They could do it, they, but they should do something else. Or they just choose to do something else. And part of it too is this, like, like, um, there's no reason in principle where I couldn't become a lawyer tomorrow. And there's no reason in principle that somebody who's an engineer in the church can't go into ministry tomorrow either. If I become a lawyer, I still need to minister the gospel wherever I go. And if an engineer who's ministering the gospel wherever he goes becomes a preacher, then he'll still be ministering the gospel to this place he goes. So yes, there are callings like apostle, a prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher but we find them more than we usually hear them from decreed on high or that they're the only thing we could possibly do. It's, it's a discovery in a way. And you'll always doubt it and wonder like, well, couldn't I have done something else? Of course you could have done something else. You chose this as a steward, right? Every, you owe nothing. You're in charge of everything in your life. You must choose what to do. You that could seems- be something else. You choose this or you don't choose it. It's up to you. It seems like the, the beauty of the whole thing is that it's not that God isn't made us into like creatures who are only capable of doing one thing at one time. It, that seems way more encouraging to me that it's like, you, well, yeah, you, have, you could have the ability, ability to be a lawyer, engineer, uh, pastor, or like a, or a carpenter. And you have those abilities and you can do all those things is far more encouraging than like you have one thing that you're that you're created for. And if you don't find it, you've wasted your entire life because I (laughs) I feel like I felt that recently where it's like you got to find this one thing. And if you don't, by the time you're dead, 
you're probably going to have wasted everything in your entire life. When I know godly men who are carpenters, who do more work for, for the kingdom than a lot of pastors, just by sharing the gospel with people and doing their work day in and day out and having a great attitude and discipling people. And, and they didn't need to go to seminary to do that. They needed to, to do, to do, to do the things that God has called them to do, which is the revealed will of God and become godly men and, and through that be able to yeah. affect the people around them. And so the proclamation of the gospel isn't the only good work God demands humans do. Like when a single mom comes to me and doesn't have the money to get her taxes done for the year, there's nothing I can do about that except for that I can call a, this Christian accountant who does that for single moms and widows, right? And because he's an accountant and has a successful business, he can do that for some people, right? So there's there's all kinds of there's, there's all kinds of these ways which Jesus helps us as a whole body to serve people. If we had all pastors, we, we would be really ineffective in reaching people. The multiplicity of skills, abilities, gifts, vocations, and assets makes us able to do diverse things, right? That's why God says you're a body with all these many, many parts, right? And part of this is discovering which part you are or are for now. Yeah. So I guess to wrap it up, um, I, I don't know. Do you guys want to wrap it up in one? I, I know Nick likes to always wrap things up in like one kind of long run on sentence that brings all the things that were said together uh, about what should we do with our lives slash what does it look like to be godly in a godly person? There's a book. Yes. Yeah, so There's a book just... by Kevin DeYoung, I'm pretty sure, called Just Do Something. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah. I think that's a good piece of advice especially for people in their twenties is to just do something and do it while embracing the character of Jesus as you do it. And like pursuing mm-hmm. restoration and redemption in whatever sphere you're in. Um, yeah. And it's a short book. It's a short book. So you could read it <laughs> if you're listening. Yeah. yeah. There's a much longer book on the will of God by Gary Friesen. I think I'll like find the will of God or finding God's plan or something like that. One of the best metaphors from the book, so I can save you from reading it is because it's like almost 400 pages, I think, is that people think about God's will as like, imagine like a red piece of yarn. That's God's will for your life. And you're like a green piece of yarn. And so you're like, if I'm going to find God's will, I want the green piece of yarn to always be on the red piece of yarn, right? In every decision. And then if I get off, can I get back on? Or how does that work? Or does chaos theory mean I can never get back on the real will of God? There's like, God writes another will that's not as good, and blah, 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 right? And Friesen says, that's just not the kind of metaphorical world the bible talks about it, it talks about like a shepherd right so a shepherd takes sheep to a field and the sheep can graze anywhere they want on that field right and so the, the will of the will of god is constrained not by god's secret will but by his revealed will walk in what he's told you to do and you will always be in his will you will always be in his pasture and his the, what if there is a piece of yarn whatever that is that's his business and not yours and not anything you could worry about or think about. And you will always be on it if you are in the pasture. And you'll be back on it anytime you get back in the pasture through repentance and belief. So um, don't waste your 20s. Um, finding God's will is about becoming like Jesus, growing in godliness, not doing a particular thing or finding a particular person. You have to convert the potential into actual. You can't hold that back. So embrace the process of becoming 
And as you find Jesus, he will help you find yourself. Right. And, um, and you just, if, if you, if you aim for godliness, you're going to hit something good. Yeah. I don't know what it's going to be, but you're going to hit something good, something wholesome, something beautiful, something right. And, um, and you have to, in the end, accept that you're a steward. Like your job is to do something with all that God has given you, recognizing you own nothing, but you are in charge of everything. You don't, you're not supposed to wait around for God's voice in your heart, but you are supposed to listen for his nudges, guiding and leading because he's going to work through your conscience. And some of what you're going to, going to receive from God is not just going to be reading in his written word, but you're going to receive it in your conscience and intuitive mind. And you're going to know that that's right. And you should follow it. Are you hearing from God or not? There's a lot of ways you could explain that kind of knowing, but that is part of your life. Learning to like for your primal self, your intuitive mind and your deliberative mind to all be one so that you're one self, one person, and you know where you're going. But that process is really hard. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do is to unite yourself and know yourself and to unite that with the image of God in you and how to keep in step with the spirit being like Christ. And when you do that, you will always be in God's good, pleasing and perfect will. It's kind of like the, the purpose of life or the meaning of life. So we, we, we covered two questions. What should you do with your life and what is the meaning of life? Those are big, those are big, all in an hour and like 15 minutes. We did so this that. Is, this is the last Optive podcast. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> We've accomplished our goal. Episode 20. Um, okay. That was good. Uh, so, okay. Don't forget to give us the five stars. You know, the drill five stars, smash that like button, send us emails. If you have questions, this episode is brought to you. Hit subscribe and the bell as well. And the bell notifications (laughs) are huge. Uh, don't, don't forget that this is brought to you by simple trees. (laughs) If you need your trees, um, not hard trees, but simple ones. <laughs> if you need your trees cut down, give Nick a call. He will gladly do it. That and besides that, looks like looks like we're we're done for today. So thank you for listening, and we'll see you guys in the next one. See ya. Bye.